Hello, Location Indie listener, and welcome. What we have today for you is a very, very special Location Indie podcast because this is our Paradise Pack Sessions 2016. And what Jason and I did is we sat down, actually, we stood up for the entire live cast, and we did a six and a half hour live streaming broadcast where we brought on 12 of the world's foremost experts on what it's like to travel cheap, live a location-independent lifestyle, build a business, how to create a life of freedom. We chatted with them each for half an hour. We recorded it. We did it live. We got all of the questions that a lot of people were asking us. We answered them during the broadcast. And now what we're doing is making that audio available for you in 30-minute chunks, 30-minute episodes. There will be 12 Paradise Pack session episodes. So you, if you didn't get a chance to listen to them all or you didn't see us during live, guys, you can listen to all the amazing wisdom that was spewed out. We had Jacob telling us about his infamous no game. We had Carla discussing what it was like to be one of the world's first digital nomads, even though she didn't realize it. Matt revealing his awesome OSEM technique. Gabby talking about what it's like to live in Brazil and how she became a YouTube superstar. All types of different things. People touching on all variety of topics. You aren't going to miss, want to miss any of these. And we are doing this to celebrate the paradise Pack. And what the Paradise Pack is, is the world's best bundle of products for traveling, living, and working anywhere in the world. So if you're someone who's listening, and you're like, all right, I want to be location independent. I want to be a digital nomad. I want to be able to work from anywhere, do jobs that I love. I want to have my own freedom. That is what the Paradise Pack is all about. But a quick reminder, the Paradise Pack ends today, if you're listening to this when it comes out live, Monday, June 6, 2016 at 11.59 p.m. Pacific time. After that, you will not be able to get the Paradise Pack again, no matter how much you beg and plead. We are very sorry. We cannot give it to you again. So you'll never be able to get these products again. It's over $2,500 worth of the best resources in the world about how to travel cheap, build a business that can earn money from anywhere, and how to give yourself the three main freedoms, location freedom, time freedom, and financial freedom, which we know you are about because you're listening to this podcast. So we cannot recommend it enough. $2,500 worth of products. We're selling it for $197, over a 90% discount. You can get that by going to the theparadisepack.com. Don't go to paradisepack.com because you'll see ice packs. Go to theparadisepack.com. You can check that all out. And don't forget to go there now. If you're listening right now and you're like, man, I haven't heard about the Paradise Pack before. I remember these guys talking about it, but I haven't picked mine up yet. Don't forget, you have to go there now because if you're interested, we don't want you missing out since this will never be available again. Once this is over, Monday, June 6, 2016 at 11.59 p.m. Pacific time, you won't be able to get the Paradise Pack again. So head there to theparadisepack.com. Check it out. And right now, why don't we jump into this Paradise Pack session interview with one of our amazing people who came on the live cast. Here we go. And and really quick, and we've, we're going to bring Tim in. Tim's here. So we'll chat with Tim in one minute. Really quick, one tip that you can have if you own a house and you're looking to be location independent, and I currently do this now, and I know, Jason, you're, you're planning on doing this when you get out traveling again as well, is uh, now with a shared economy and Airbnb and HomeAway and VRBO, there's so many ways that your house can help you make money while you're traveling that before it kind of used to be like this lead weight, like, oh, I'm traveling well, and I have to pay the mortgage. Well, now there's a lot of ways that you can do it. And, and we've been doing it with Airbnb over the last eight months that we were back in our house and then traveling as well, um, where it's helped either supplement the mortgage or cover it completely. So um, if you do have a house and you're like, well, this is time you down, think of unique ways. And one of those is, is Airbnb and rent it while you're away. So uh, just some thoughts there. Let's hear Mr. Tim Leffel's thoughts on this. How yeah, you doing, yeah, yeah. Tim? Hey, guys. 
Hey, I've got my uh, house up for rent in Mexico, which is where I talked to you from last time. So <laughs> I believe in that uh, wholeheartedly. Nice little extra chunk of income coming in. Yeah, I didn't realize you uh, actually owned the home there. So you bought a house in Mexico and now you're renting it out. Yeah, the first year we lived there, we just um, rented an uh, rented an apartment, um, and then eventually we bought something after we knew the lay of the land. I kind of smell another book coming here, maybe on how to buy real estate abroad, because uh, I don't know if you're working on that, but that that would be something I'd be really interested in reading about, particularly from you, because a huge I'm a huge fan of your work. We're thrilled to have you back in the Paradise Pack again for. Uh, the second year now, I guess you came yeah, on the live cast. Oh man, it's it's a pleasure, and um, really excited to have have your world's cheapest destination package because this is something that's ever shifting as uh, as time goes on. Of course, currencies are changing. Different countries have different things to offer. Offer. You're somebody who's worked all over the world, so you're bringing the travel aspect and the location dependent aspect to this conversation as well. But uh, as Travis has started with the other guests, uh, it's always good to learn a little bit more about you and who you are and um, kind of how you got into all of this because uh, you know some people here might might not be familiar with your work so kind of wanted to sh- wonder if you could share a little bit hard sure. to believe they don't know Tim Leffel though nah, That's nah, be well, hard to believe. <laughs> we all start somewhere and I started out in the shoes of probably most of the people that are listening to this um, I got kind of a late start in my late 20s traveling around the world and basically went backpacking around the world total three years and taught English some of that time and started working as a travel writer. And basically when I got back to the U.S. and sort of uh, settled down, <laughs> had a kid and all that, I put out the first edition of the World's Cheapest Destinations book because um, there was nothing out there like it that I, I could find. And so I, I'm not, I don't have the first one here, but this is the second edition. This is the third edition. <laughs> and so the one that's out now is the fourth. And next year, I'm going to start working on a fifth one. So, yeah, things do change, and I do try to keep it updated. Um, And anyway, I also have a book out called A Better Life for Half the Price, and that's all about uh, living abroad where you can really uh, cut your expenses in half. And that does not include Norway. um, (laughs) I'm doing it all wrong. (laughs) But, um, yeah, and then I'm a a travel writer. I run a bunch of blogs. Um, My Cheapest Destinations blog has been up since 2003. So, uh, I'm an old man pioneer, I guess. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, can you share a little bit? I know, you know, you started, like you said, in your 20s, but I know just from knowing your personal story, there was a time where um, you had to make that transition from kind of sort of this more traditional, I guess, working type of situation to becoming a travel writer. Can you share a little bit uh, about that transition and, and how that w- went for you? Because a lot of people that are here are in that's not everybody, but a lot of people are in that space where they're in that transitional zone, trying to either go from a job to this, or maybe they're out and trying to make bigger things happen. Yeah. So I've, I've had a few regular corporate jobs in my lifetime and, uh, I've been able to step away from that for the last 10 years and be completely on my own, but I didn't really take that big leap until I was at the point where I could earn enough to support my family and say goodbye to the cubicle forever. But, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's a lot of advantages to having a real job, especially when you're trying to uh, start something on the side and you're not sure if it's going to take off or not. Uh, You know, then eventually you can just uh, get it to a point where it's doing well and, um, you know, make the make the big leap. But I worked for um, I worked in the music business for RCA Records, which sounds like a dream job. And it it was back then. But still, even with uh, 
um, a dream, you know, job that sounds glamorous, you're still basically moving widgets and having lots of meetings and dealing with idiot bosses and all those things that you <laughs> have to in any kind of company. And uh, my wife had a similar job and we were both just kind of frustrated with it. And we uh, just took off and went traveling around the world. And But neither of us ever went back to that kind of job again. And so um, I had another one working for a tech company later, right after I had a baby. I did that for a few years and did actually work in a cubicle for a while. So I know what it's like and I'm glad to not be doing it anymore. <laughs> you, you feel the pain of, of a lot of the people out there who have said they're in a cubicle hiding the wire or, or having yeah. it on a second monitor so they can close it out and everything like that. Um, we've been getting some questions, uh, Tim, about traveling, uh, specifically uh, one from Spike way back in the beginning. So thanks for your patience, Spike. Well, I'd like to hear from people who travel with small children or with a family. And, you're, um, and you are, the, I believe, the first person who's been on who, who has a family and who has been traveling a lot and living in another country. Can you talk about like what that experience was like? A, first, like getting them to buy into it, or maybe maybe they were bought into it, and then how it progressed because you've done it. And, uh, and now you've gone back to the U.S., so that's another little added extra layer to it. Yeah, I got my daughter her first passport when she was three, so um, we definitely have been taking her a lot of places ever since. And uh, a couple of years ago, we even went up, went back to Southeast Asia and went to Thailand and Vietnam and, and uh, Cambodia with her. But, uh, you know, the last, like three of the last five years, we lived in Mexico, so she went to school there. She's fluent in Spanish and uh it's been good. And I, of course, it's a very different when you're traveling with kids than with when you're not. And the main thing is you have to go a lot slower and um, you can't really just think of your own needs all the time. You got somebody else that's uh, maybe more impatient and more whiny with you that you have to deal with. But kids also give you a whole different perspective on a place. And they also, in my experience, open up a lot more doors for socializing with local people. They're just not nearly as intimidated by you if you've got a kid with you. You know, you seem like a normal person that they can relate to. So I think there's a big advantage to that. Um, like mothers will never talk to me while I'm by myself, you know, <laughs> but if I've got my daughter <laughs> along, then uh, it's OK. So um, there, the good thing is, I just want to point out real quick, there's a lot more um, kind of traveling the world family blogs out there than there used to be. And some of them are really doing quite well, like Travels with Bender and um, Why Travel Blog and some of those where they've, you know, they're traveling around the world with small kids and showing it can be done. Yeah, as speaking of Why Travel Blog, uh, Kaz and Craig, also part of the Paradise Pack, and they talk about how to basically take your blog and turn it into to a business like and, and why a blog you know, why it's more than just a blog and it's a business and um tim with with the family travel was there ever a time that you you felt it was too much like wh where you thought because we got some people asking like how young is too young to travel uh so i want you to get on that question but was there ever a time where you thought like all right i, I can't do this with a family like it's just too much either for my children for my wife for me or was it like once you got in and settled was it just kind of the way it was yeah it wasn't that hard of a transition for me because I'm kind of a slow travel guy anyway I never have been one of those people that like tries to hit a city and go to 15 museums in three days you know I think that's just not a fun way to travel so I would rather take it slow and just do one or two things each day and stay longer you know and a kid sort of forces you to do that um, you know there are some some uh, 
trade-offs you have to make. Like maybe you're going to go to more playgrounds than you wanted when they're five years old. You know? um, but, you know, like I said, you meet other locals when you're doing something like that. And that can be kind of a different experience too. And it's kind of fun to go to a local amusement park, for example, and see all the, you know, things that they do differently and see what kind of food they're selling and all that kind of stuff. So for me, it was, uh, it was an enjoyable transition. And um, maybe, uh, you know, we, we, we travel differently when we're by ourselves than we do with a kid with us, but I still think, uh, they can both work pretty well and both be really enlightening. Tim, should we roll into some cheap destination questions? Yeah, I'd love to. And, um, this is a great timing as far as when we're doing this. I, I put a post up a few months ago called, um, if you're an American, you're insane not to be traveling this year because, <laughs> I mean, really, if you have any money at all and you're not going somewhere this year internationally, then you're kind of an idiot. And maybe you shouldn't uh, be an entrepreneur because you're not very good at spotting opportunities. <laughs> Telling it like it is. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, this is like a time when the U.S. dollar is at a historic high um, or near close to it with so many different curry currencies, it's ridiculous. And I'm going to run off a short list here because uh, this just shows you an example. These are all currencies that are either um, at a record low against the dollar or close to it. So Nepal, Nicaragua, Morocco, Mexico, Czech Republic, Hungary, Indonesia, Thailand, Ethiopia, South Africa, Colombia, and Turkey. And those are just ones I checked before I got on the, uh, on the call here. So yeah, I oh I was gonna say I can personally speak to to especially South Africa. Um, for for me having been there um four or five months ago, and I thought I was getting such a good deal because it was at a high then, and then it just keeps going up the dollar against the rand. It's it's incredible the opportunities that you can have, and and some of those countries are already fairly cheap. Um, and this just makes them even more cheaper. South Africa typically on par with the U.S. Some parts of Western Europe, things like that. If you were to travel there a couple of years ago, and I mean, we're sitting in Cape Town, South Africa, going to eat at some of the nicest restaurants where like the Prince, where Prince Harry ate when he came through getting a three course <laughs> meal and it's costing us $15. So like the same as going out to like a pub in the US and we're getting this extravagant, awesome meal. Um, so if anyone is looking to go to any of those places and really most of the rest of the world, it's, it's the dollar is killing it. Just, just go, especially if it's a place that you've thought, ah, this is a little expensive like Norway, um, which is usually very, very expensive. And now it's at least swallowable, right? It's like manageable. Um, definitely get out and travel. Yeah. And um, that's another point too. Like, you know, the expensive places are not as expensive each year this year. So there's two ways you can play it. You can go somewhere that's super cheap and now it's going to be even cheaper, or you can go to Canada or England or France or, you know, someplace you've wanted to go that was maybe too pricey before. I'm going to say come to Norway because uh, I could use some visitors and it would be nice to see everybody. Um, no, that's great. So the Paradise Pack specific guide you put together too, do you want to talk a little bit about what's in that? Yeah, and it's um, that's sort of a collection of blog posts that were things I've done over the years that were real advice oriented, maybe insider information, insider advice kind of things that I did not put out in any kind of book form. And I think the problem with a lot of blogs that have been around a while like mine is you end up at a point where you're like at 1500 posts or something and nobody's ever going to go through all of those. Yeah. And so I just cherry picked some of the ones that were kind of evergreen and would give you some real strategies to avoid 
problems and to save a lot of money. And I, I called it, uh, why didn't anyone tell me that? Because that's what people say a lot of times when you uh, give them this kind of advice. What is your favorite strategy from that guide? Something that, that's really like, man, this thing just rocks my world. Well, I think um, people tend to uh, learn a lot of stuff by trial and error after they've been out there a month or two on the road that that um, newbies have no clue about. And you can sort of spot them, you know, as they get off the plane and they're wandering around lost, you know. But, I mean, there are um, one, um, you know, there's some things on there about travel gear. There's some things about, um, you know, planning as far as uh, your flights. And I think one key thing on that is on flights, a lot of people will buy an around the world airline ticket for every single place they're going to stop before they leave, which A, takes a lot of um, flexibility out of your schedule, but it also costs you a lot more because you can generally, um, I like to call it, a, you can get a skeleton around the world ticket where maybe it's only like, two or three of the stops and then you buy the rest after you get there or go overland or whatever the case may be. But I mean, most of those tickets, once you get to Bangkok are cheaper in Bangkok to go almost anywhere else in the world than they would be if you bought them at home. So um, I'm not trying to, uh, you know, say it's a bad thing to buy from um, uh, Sean Keener's uh, <laughs> around the world airline ticket company. It's worthwhile to do that, but maybe don't buy every single stop and lock yourself into something ahead of time. Yeah, which is perfect because as you were saying that, Jader just asked the question, I'm a new traveler. How critical is it to plan your travels in advance? How far out should I design my my travel? I'm balancing price and freedom. And I think to your point, and I think Jason, I can speak to this as well. Um, typically, you are going to get cheaper tickets when you get to a place and you find out where you want to go. So like typically price and freedom can go hand in hand. Like it doesn't have to be, if I book everything ahead of time, it's going to be cheaper. A lot of times you're going to find out about airlines that are going to be flying between Bangkok and Khan Can, Thailand called Con Air, which is an example I, that I had no idea was there until someone said, check these guys out. And I was like, $20 ticket instead of a hundred dollar <laughs> yeah, ticket. Knock, knock air. I remember yeah, that one so, in Thailand. So there's a lot of stuff like that. Um, and, and I do think as a new traveler, you might want to, a, a good piece of advice is to like hem in the big chunks, right? Like if you're going to go yeah, for yeah. three months, maybe be like, all right, well, I want to do a month in Europe. I want to do a month in Asia. I want to do a month in South America, whatever it is. I mean, that might be too quick for someone, but at least hem in the big parts and then give yourself that freedom. And when you're on the ground, ask around because there is going to be a lot of stuff that you have no idea about. And also back to something you guys talked about earlier, sometimes you get to a place and you don't like it that much. You know, you, th you thought it was going to be like a perfect spot for you and you get there and you go, wow, this is this place sucks <laughs> and you want to move on, you know. But if you've uh, nailed down your whole itinerary week by week, then you don't have the flexibility to just go somewhere else or stay longer in a place that you land in and really like a lot. Yeah, um, Jake, Jake asked a really good question and I'm, I'm going to. Uh, ask your opinion and then I'm going to give you a website as well. And he just asked, you know, how, um, how do you check into the power of the dollar in various countries? Because obviously with currencies, you know, it, it fluctuates. It, it seems like just because the dollar is worth four times as much as another currency, it doesn't mean it's a good price of goods and it's actually cheaper. So I, there's a website called price of, of travel.com, which does a fantastic job of, basically putting everything in US dollars so you can compare. Do you have other tips um, of how to know kind of how expensive an actual country is before going there? 
Yeah, um, I do like Price of Travel a lot. Um, there's another one called Numbeo, N-U-M-B-E-O, and um, it's sort of user-generated info, but it actually puts New York City um, at 100 on the scale and ranks everything else compared to that. So, for instance, Oslo would be more, but somewhere like uh, Kathmandu would be maybe, you know, 40 or 30 on the scale. So, um, and it puts everything in there, you know, like uh, what you pay for an average apartment, what a meal costs, you know, what a pint of milk costs, whatever, you know, all the basic stuff, a beer and a bar. And so um, you can sort of get a sense around the world of what things cost. So that's a good one. And then the inf the place I go to pull up historic um, exchange information, it's a site that's fxtop.com. I don't know what that stands for, but fxtop.com will give you historic exchange rates, but then you can go to you know, xe.com or any of them just to get the current rate. But I like to use that one because it gives you a sense of where we are in history compared to before. And I mean, just to give you an example, when I first started going to Mexico, it was 10 and a half pesos to the dollar. And right now it's 18. I mean, that's a massive difference for a place that's right next door. <laughs> yeah, and I can speak from experience in Norway too. I understand what Jake's saying. Sometimes it doesn't correlate. However, oftentimes it can. And the coffee shop here, you know, lattes would cost like literally nine to ten dollars, sometimes eleven. But like when I first came here three three years ago, Man. now it's like five bucks, six yeah. bucks maybe, which is that's in Tim's guide world's most expensive destinations. <laughs> yes, we all can make fun of the fact that I'm doing it all wrong. <laughs> but you know, it's all a trade off, right? You have clean streets and nice uh, childcare and things like that. Yeah, that's. Yeah, there was a a good question speaking about money above from Amy, and um, who's also going to be in Norway, Jason. She said in July she's going to get a hold of you. But Amy asked right. about the exchange rate, about currency. Where's the best place to exchange uh, exchange currency? Is it better to withdraw from an ATM? specifically going to Norway or take a pocket full from the US. So Tim, what do you do typically with a currency? Well, of course, to your expertise, Travis, I would say if you're going to use a credit card, uh, use one that's going to get you something out of the deal, some mileage or hotel points or whatever, and that doesn't charge a foreign exchange fee. Right. Um, but if you're using... Uh, Otherwise, your best bet is usually to use a debit card and preferably a debit card that doesn't charge you a bunch of fees. And usually you can get one with no fees or even a kickback on your fees from um, the brokerage sites like Fidelity and Schwab and ones like that. Um, any local credit union you belong to is usually fee free or close to it. And I use a PayPal debit card to access my PayPal account. I think it's a dollar or a dollar fifty to take money out of that. And that's not much. Yeah, and and speaking of that, um, Charles Schwab, I, I the one I recommend is called a chart. If you're in the U.S., it's a Charles Schwab high yield investor. I don't know why they put all those other words on, but Charles Schwab <laughs> high yield investor. Don't know what it means. You open it up, it's free, and um, it's a debit, and you you can put money into it. And when you go to any ATM in the world, they don't charge you to get money out of the ATM. And if that ATM charges you, they reimburse the whole fee. So like in Thailand, where it's six US dollars to take money out of an ATM, even though that's like three dinners, and I'd always get so mad. Um, our, our our friend and someone who helps us with the Paris pack, uh, Tiffany, who's in, in the chat box, she said, Travis, you're an idiot. Like, get this card. And she, we were in Thailand together, and she was showing me how it worked. So um, now I use it all over the world. So it's an awesome card to get money out of, because not only do they not charge you, but they give you the fee if the ATM charges you. And then on top of that, you can stack that with credit cards that have no foreign transaction fee, which luckily most cards are going that way nowadays because they, they kind of know they have to because everyone's traveling all over the place. So um, check those two things out. 
And I'd say traveling in the States, I always love to just do the cash back at, uh, at grocery stores. That was always one of my favorite moves, you know? Yeah, that too. Um, <laughs> the thing you don't want to do ever is exchange money at the airport um, before you go. That's like the worst place or at your local bank before you go. After you get there at the airport, okay, if you need to exchange 50 bucks or something. But you're almost always better to take it out of a machine. Yeah. And the, the other thing that I would recommend as well is I, I do always. So um, Amy said, like, should I bring a pocket full of cash? I'm always wary because I'm very uh, I, I leave stuff everywhere. So I never care. Uh, travel with a, a bunch of cash. A, I don't want to get it stolen, but B, I'll probably like lose my wallet on some point during the trip. But I always do have about 100 US dollars with me as like emergency. Okay, my card got eaten. I lost all my credit cards. I lost this, I lost that. I always do have like a little bit of an emergency fund. And how much you're going to bring has to depend on how you travel, how many people are with you. Maybe you have a family stuff and that. But you might want to bring cash with you as an emergency fund. Put it somewhere that's not in your wallet. So if you lose your wallet or your purse, you still have it. Um, just as an extra precaution. So I always do that as well. Yeah, ideally, if you had like 50 or 100 euros and 50 or 100 dollars, you're pretty set anywhere in the world if you get into trouble. <laughs> Other I, I than like, Norway. I, I like to have a little cash on me, you know? It's always good to have a little cash on you. Now, if you see me walking down the street, don't jump me. <laughs> but there are also countries where, um, you know, the, the ATM system or the credit card system are not very far along. And there are also countries that are in chaos. If you're in Venezuela right now, you better have some U.S. dollars on you. Yeah, and I've been yeah. to Guatemala when there's a line out the door for the ATM and the ATM's out of money and you can't get money yeah. anywhere. There's these shortages that happen. So I, especially I like, on payday. Yeah. I mean, I, I always, I always, my rule is like never carry more than like, and you don't want to ever lose money, but it's like, if I have a couple hundred bucks on me and like I get robbed or something, it's not like I can't survive, you know what I mean? Like I'm going to be able to continue on, you know? So, uh, excited Carla's coming in, I guess. And, uh, we're going to be talking about self-publishing, which is, I know, uh, you've done quite a bit of Tim, but I just want to say before, uh, Tim bounces, uh, I think one of the great things about Tim is like just showing, we talked about kids and all the different ways you've traveled from traveling to living abroad. It's just no type of life is off limits when you can be location dependent and you you have this type of uh, flexibility in your life. Yes, it's hard. We're very transparent about all of that. But you can shape it to your lifestyle. And I think Tim is uh, over the years. You've done it in so many ways, right? I mean, what are your thoughts on that before you before you part? Yeah, well, you could tell by looking at me. I'm not a, a guy who just came along yesterday and started doing this. And uh, I can go back to the days before there was an internet, and I can tell you it's ten times easier now than it used to be to do anything abroad. I mean, you basically had to be an English teacher or dive instructor or work as a bartender under the table or something like that to make any money abroad in the um, pre-internet days. But now, I mean, it's so easy, and there's so many tools out there to do you know, all these remote jobs independently. And so take advantage of it. You know, there's a great, uh, there's a great world out there to explore and just take your laptop and make your money as you go along. Amen, brother. <laughs> Thank you so much, Tim, again, Thanks for being for having part of the Paradise Pack. Coming on again. Oh, it's, it's great. Thank you so much. See you guys later. Have a good weekend. Thank right, you.
If you loved that Paradise Pack session, don't forget we've got 11 other ones for you. So however you're listening to this podcast, whether that be on iTunes, whether that be on Stitcher, whether that be on Jabbercast, whether you're listening to it from our website, you can also get the 11 other Paradise Pack sessions from 2016 at that same location. So check those out. Lots of cool information being passed around by some of the world's foremost experts. Also, do not forget that the Paradise Pack itself ends today, Monday, June 6, 2016 at 11.00. 59 p.m. Pacific time. So if you want the world's best resource, the best bundle out there, we have done every single thing we could to pack it full of value, over $2,500 worth of resources for only $197. It's over 90% off. Don't forget to head to theparadisepack.com because it ends today, Monday, June 6, 2016 at 11.59 p.m. Pacific time. So head on over theparadisepack.com. Do it now if you want to grab the Paradise Pack so you don't forget. Um, We cannot give it to anyone after the clock strikes zero on our countdown timer. So head on over to theparadisepack.com. Check it out. And thank you for joining us today with the Paradise Pack sessions. Don't forget to check out the other ones. Thanks for joining us today. And we'll see you later.